Hello, and welcome to The Confident Commit, the podcast for anyone who wants to join the conversation on how to deliver software faster and better. If you're looking to build a trust and ship, tune in less confidently commit. We're going to talk about observability, probably, and probably a lot of other fascinating things, uh, knowing charity. I'm your host, Rob Zuber, CTO of CircleCI, the industry leader for all things CI and CD charity. Thanks so much for joining me here today. Thanks so much for having me. So awesome to have you. Um, uh, you know, we've uh, we've obviously traveled in similar circles for over 20 years, I think now, uh, for for anyone who wouldn't know this. We both worked at Jesus Christ. Critical Path. Uh, oh my God, at, you're at a critical path? Yeah, at different times. Oh my God, uh, I, I joined crazy. just after you left. So I was of, 17 then. <laughs> I wish I could say I was 17 then, but I won't let anyone do the math on uh, on, on where I'm at. Um, but, you know, a lot of experience, a lot of change in the industry. Um, and then at some point, um, I don't even know when this was exactly, but I was building some mobile apps, I guess in 2013. And we were building them on top of Parse. So uh, I did my best to design good schemas and I apologize for whatever it was (laughs) that we did. Um, And then sort of saw, you know, as you left there and, uh, and went on to do, to do honeycomb after the Facebook acquisition. Um, Well, I mean, now CircleCI is a Honeycomb customer. We love the product. I actually- uh, We're a Circle customer. (laughs) It is is a little bit like that in this industry, but hopefully that's because we're all doing good things that we're excited about. And so um, I'm excited to get into all of that. But one of the things that that really made me want to have a chat with you is- I noticed that a lot of the time when you're when you're speaking publicly, like you talk about observability for sure and reliability, but one of the things that keeps coming up is is CI and CD. Um, yeah, and and some let's just say some fairly strong opinions about just how that. A little bit. <laughs> I mean, that's probably true of a lot of what you talk about, but that's yeah. cool. Like, I, I want to hear the strong opinions, and I'm I'm sort of curious, like if you. Um, well, let's just start right in the middle there, and then we can work back yeah. to some of those other pieces. But but sitting where you're sitting looking at production systems where, you know, as we said, you have a lot of experience and we'll kind of dive into that. What is it that motivates you to be so interested and so focused on, on the delivery process? Well, a kind of shitty engineer, shitty programmer. (laughs) Uh, Well, the honest answer is, you know, I was diagnosed uh, last year with ADHD, which apparently explains a lot of it. I've always been, I struggle with like sitting there and planning what I'm going to be doing tomorrow, next week. And it's just like, it's like a highway open, just like stretching out as far as you can see. And it's very tedious for, I can't, can't motivate myself, but like fires or like who knows what's going to happen or mm-hmm. like every day is a different problem. Like I, I, I feed on that adrenaline. I'm never calmer than I am when like the site is down, nobody get it up. And if I don't figure it out, the company is fucked. Like, I just, I love that. <laughs> and it's like, as an industry, you know, we're always trying to build ourselves out of that sort of, of a job, which is good because there's always more fires to fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've just, the unpredictability, the chaos, the um, just systems, right? I find systems more interesting than software, I guess. Got it. Got it. And so that, that led you, I guess, into more of the operational side. And, you know, one yeah. thing I was, I mentioned being, um, being a Parse customer. And I think I remember you talking about uh, Parse when you were working on that and the fact that you were trying to manage a large scale database 
but had oh, yeah. no control over what people were choosing to do with any it. of the schemas or queries or anything that people were going to dump in. Yeah. And not just a database, but we like, like by the time we got acquired by Facebook, we had 60,000 mobile apps and parse and there were over a million by the time I left. So that's a million little agents of chaos, you know, and I'd wake up every morning and different one would have hit the iTunes top 10. It's just like, well, what are we going to do about this? You know, because often, you know, the, the ones that were causing the problems were not ones that were causing the most traffic or that were having the most users or that were, mm-hmm. you know, the most by volume or anything. So all of those like top 10 lists that got generated by, you know, your new relics and your, your APMs, basically this, right? They, they were just noise. You could, mm. Everything would get slower at once because it was all, you know, there, there was like this choke point of the API servers. You know, there, we didn't use threading. We had Ruby on Rails. So it's like a fixed number of workers. So everything would get slow whenever anything got slow. And like trying to find, to find out where I move her there was insanely difficult. It was basically impossible. And, and so did that, that experience, that sort of, you know, the, the problem isn't necessarily yeah. coming from the largest volume. Did that really shape how you ended up Absolutely. thinking about observability? I, mean, I consider myself a good engineer, you know, um, and it was really damaging to my self-respect, just the way parts kept going down and down and down and every time, you know, and it's just like, what is happening? We, we were doing a lot of things for their time. We were doing microservices before microservices were really understood and people really understood the failure conditions of them. Um, we were doing a lot of these things that were just kind of cutting edge. And we had this problem of, you know, whenever you're a platform, uh, it's your job to like be running your platform, but then, but then to be running their apps too. And like you said, you have no control over what they bring to the table. You just have mm-hmm. to take it <laughs> and deal with it naively. Because as a platform, anytime you have to think about a single customer, you've probably failed in some way, right? But we just we just ended up firefighting, you know, doing database DBA stuff for app after app after app. And it got it got exhausting. And I tried every tool out there, you know, but like anything that uses metrics is like it's it's so focused around you decide up front what metrics you want to collect and mm-hmm. and then use them for you. Well, I don't know what metrics I'm going to need. It's a different one every time, right? And you can only pre-generate so many and you can't slice and dice on the ones that you have. And it's just it's just a bad fit. Um, And with logs, it's like, you know, well, if I know what to look for, it's the same thing. If I know what to look for, I can find it, but don't, I'm just like, I'm lost. Right. Um, And we started getting some data sets into scuba after a year or two at Facebook and just the amount of time, you know, it used to be kind of how long will it take us to fix this? (laughs) I don't know. It's different every time, days, hours, you know, it dropped like a rock to like, seconds not even Mm. minutes but like every time with with no knowledge of what the problem is going to be we could just follow the trail of breadcrumbs to the answer every time we didn't have to guess or jump to the up to the end and that blew my mind you know we we recovered so many developer hours and ops hours once we just were able to stop firefighting and like find the solutions um, and that, that really, really made an impact on me. I was like, I can't go back to not having this. I would be so, so much less powerful as an engineer. It's just, just unthinkable. One of the other things that I, I've been thinking about a lot lately is, you know, just at the evolution of of Circle CI over the time that that we've existed um, has been driven a lot by changes in just software development, right? I mean, yeah. you 
there was no Docker when CircleCI was started. So the idea that I'm just going to break this down into a bunch of, you know, services and manage it, that was for a certain class of company. Now it's democratized or whatever word you want to use, which kind of means here, we gave you all this complexity that you don't understand. Please enjoy Uh, using it. And so do you think that that's driven the, like when I think about what's most interesting to me inside of Honeycomb, it's the ability to see, you know, traces and spans and how things are flowing through the system, which is a a complex problem. Uh, Has that, has that been a driver of adoption? I mean, it absolutely, I think was driven by the, uh, the two things, by the old microservices, like, like you said, the wide scale adoption of microservices and the inexpensiveness of Hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, you think back, why did we have metrics? Because it's the smallest amount of space you could possibly use to get something interesting about your software, right? It's just a number, just a number with a couple of tags, right? You discarded mm-hmm. everything else about what's happening. You just kept the number. The way that you've solved the problem is very cool, but you solved it and now everybody can use it as opposed to yeah. everybody saying, okay, now we need a team of engineers to go sort out how we're going to deal with all this data and age yeah. it out because we can't afford it to keep it in a database. Um, well, I, I love that story also because I, I think it's very reflective of your personal, uh, I'll say obsession with databases, having, having been on the wrong end of some <laughs> poorly designed databases, right? So taking that and really thinking through how do I do this in a reliable way, right? Like data stores for so many folks remain this single point of failure or complexity that like we're doing oh, I've spent my entire career people. telling people never write a database Never <laughs> we were lucky. We were lucky to exist. You know, we could very well have gone under a couple of times. We found some other investors who were a little bit more patient, but uh, we very nearly got wiped out of existence because there, there's such a steep, steep curve to, to, to doing anything novel in infrastructure because it takes so long to do something different. Um, so well, yeah, I the think things that-, that, yeah, go ahead. There, there's such an interesting point in there about business building, which is certainly, I, I didn't think we were going to talk about business building, but let's do it. Like what's really important is understanding what your unique differentiation is, right? So that particular space, the space that you're in, if you conclude, acknowledge, however you want to think about it, the thing that's going to allow us, as you said, to be uniquely differentiated in this space is if we actually make the investment in data storage, because that's the hard problem here, then that is actually creating a huge amount of value. It takes a little bit of a, of a leap of faith, it's right? Longer. And like, yeah. if you look at the, uh, I don't want to go too far down this path, but the history of tech companies in the Valley or whatever, the, the amount of hard tech that we're building now is as a percentage way, way Pretty lower small. Than, than we used to, right? And so, yeah. yeah, there's like, people are building self-driving cars. And so like, there's interesting problems, but a lot of it is I'm stringing together a few pieces of interesting technology that have some, someone else has built in a new and novel way, right? Which, and is, so- which is the right thing to do. If you can do that, you absolutely should. Have you heard of the concept of innovation, innovation token? You know, it's the idea that as a startup, you say you've got two innovation tokens mm. and you should spend them wisely on the right. things that make you different as a business. And then you should do the most boring thing possible for everything else. You know, you were asking about, um, you know, or microservices earlier. And I'm like, if you, if you can get your job done with the lamp stack, by God, please do so. The problem mm-hmm. is the reason we're embracing all this complexity is not because we want to, it's because increasingly we have to, in order to do what we need to do. Yes. Yes. I think we've taken on, 
That's a whole other area. But I think there are plenty of places where we're taking on way more complexity than we need because that's what we're told. Like that's how it it with our face. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's exactly, exactly right. So, um, well, I think that all of that is fascinating. I think that the, um, again, the perspective of what's uniquely interesting or novel that we get, I mean, we spend a lot of time or I spend a lot of time telling people, of course, you should never build a CI and CD platform. We do, but that's our job. Like that's the one thing that we do, right? That's the place where we're going to innovate. And so please, please do less of that and do more of your business. And I'm sure you're in the same space. Like I will solve this data storage and large scale data processing problem for you. So you have the insights to manage your system, deliver great value to, to customers. So, um, Let's talk about CI and CD a little bit. I mean, I know that's not exactly your main focus, but at the same time, uh, it seem, it's very tangential, I think, <laughs> in that we're all, I, I believe, in service of trying to get more of that, you know, business value into the hands of customers, however you want to think better. about it. Trying, trying to get trying folks- to help people do it better, better. Right. And I, th- I think that, um, you know, how we deliver and then how we understand our production environments, again- tightly correlated. So, so what is it that, um, when, when you're thinking about CI and CD, uh, again, you've said a couple pretty interesting things like, you know, a, this is critical have it, but B, I think your, your time cap was 15 minutes. Anything over 15 minutes is, you know, is a waste of everybody's time or is a risk to your business. So, uh, tell me a little bit about just what drives that thinking and, and what experiences led to that perspective. Sure. In like two minutes or less, right? Sure. <laughs> I could rant about this all day. Um, I, you know, it came up from, from the perspective of, of course, I want my company to succeed. And I started realizing that one of the biggest obstacles to it succeeding is the long delay time times. I mean, if, if you have like, if it's going to be a month until you see your software, then, you know, it doesn't matter how, how well you can instrument it for real time, you know, responsiveness. It's like, it doesn't matter. Right. And, and like there's there's this virtuous loop, you know, that like we were born with as software engineers. We we were born with the you know we write some code and we look at it. We we write some code and we check it out in production. You know, the 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 writing and the making sure the writing was done well um, are are the same thing. You know, you you can't just you don't just write a novel and never read it. Give it to someone else to read and edit. You know, like it, it's 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 the same thing. That was a bad way to ever break. We're always looking for ways to like be efficient and like specialize and everything, but that was a bad way to break things mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. We should never have built that wall in the first place. Um, and you know, if you look at for engineering software engineers, software engineering team. Um, they spend so much of their time waiting on each other. I think of it like the software engineering death spiral where, you know, if, if, you know, if it takes like hours for your stuff to get out, um, the right way to do it, I, in my opinion, is start there to, you know, whenever an engineer merges their changes to main, it should automatically kick off a CICD, you know, pipeline run to produce an artifact, which should get deployed to production in 15 minutes or less. Um, so that you can do, you can develop memories and engineer your instrument and your code as you're writing it. And you, and you, you're looking for, you know, how is my future self going to understand this merge? And then you go look, right. And you, you ask through the lens of your instrumentation, is it doing what I expected it to do? Does anything else look Weird, which is like I think of that as observability-driven development. Development, but it encompasses the real world too. The big, the the mammoth thing that I think is important here is number one: how much time people spend 
doing the stuff that sucks the life out of you, you know, it's not the good stuff of engineering. It's the, it's the terrible stuff. It's the frustrating stuff. It's the, it's the toil. Like mm-hmm. all of that goes up and up the, the longer your build pipeline is. And number two, just the sheer wastefulness of that. Ever looked at a company and like, oh, cool product. Oh my God, they have 800 engineers. What do they all do? You know? Mm-hmm. I guarantee you they have very long and torturous GICD pipeline. Yeah. You know, so I was just thinking about all this and I was like, you know, there's all this advice out there for people about how to, how to, you know, you know, make crews better, how to, you know, do your diff better, how to do all this stuff. And they're all just like batting away at the symptoms when, mm-hmm. you know, if there's one pressure point that you can start at that makes things flow correctly for them, for everyone else, instead of like, fractal badness, it starts right there with, with that image from when you've written the code and when the code is live and making it that virtuous feedback loop that you own. Yeah. Well, I, I'm a fan of this theory, unsurprisingly, since uh, I spend all of my days trying to solve this problem for folks. I, I think one of the one of the things that I was thinking there as you were describing this, I, I think I just got a, like a strong lesson in queuing theory as well, right? It's not just yeah. the 15 minutes, but how big your org is and how many things are backing up. And when they start to back up, how long does it take to clear that out? And so like development flow and how it associates with that um, is, is absolutely huge. You can just see how it just, it flows out and it just like, it, it, it magnifies at every step. Like it gets bigger and harder and more complicated and more confusing and more waiting at at every step. I I would imagine there are organizations. I can't think of any, of our customers, which is probably a good thing, but I imagine there are organizations that are waiting for the next morning and hoping that the queue is finally cleared before people sure. get back. I mean, a lot of organizations are not all working in the same office anymore because, well, a lot's changed recently, but, right, right. you know, like hoping that it clears before they start piling more into there. And I can't even imagine what that would do for productivity. So I think you also tend to identify other issues, right? When you say, oh, yeah. wow, why can't we get our CI pipeline or CD pipeline down below 15 minutes? That's well, this piece of testing is way too hard to get done in 15 minutes. And you stop and say, is that okay? Like, are we comfortable mm. with something that's so complex to test or totally. do we need to find another way to to build this? How can we parallelize it? Totally. We, well, this test has to happen before that test, which has to happen before that test. Well, that's a problem. Like, let's, let's yeah. stop and think about that, right? And I think it, totally. it pushes design, right? It, it In the same way as kind of test-driven development gives you like, oh, if I have to think about how this thing gets tested, let me think yeah. about how it's designed in the first place. And I think, you know, to exactly. your point, all the way out to observability. Totally. Um, and I guess you, I, I would say the same thing about observability. Like if it's difficult to understand what's happening in your system and you can't instrument it, yeah, that should be like a, a little <laughs> alarm bell should be going off that's, saying it's a huge problem. Yeah. Let's, totally. let's dig in and see if we can make that. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, I, I feel like the fact that this, you know, we've known this for how long, 15 years, you know, and we've had the tools to do this well for at least five. And I feel like the, I feel like there's like a, a real failure of leadership here. Like what is an engineering manager or director or senior engineers? Like what is their one job? Their one, their one job is, is tending to the socio-technical systems of, you know, people and, and tools and production. And, and you, you can't solve any one of those on their own, right? It's all, it's because it's a feedback loop. You, you know, everything mm-hmm. you do has an impact on everything else. Um, and, 
And like, we're the ones who are supposed to understand that and make sure that time is carved out to work on these problems, right? That it's not just future, 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 but that we're, we're loudly advocating for and making a strong case for, no, this is in the business's best interest. No, this is in everyone's best interest. You know, and that's where, this is why I'm trying to calculate, you know, the cost in dollars and, and, and like, how wasteful is this of our engineering? The scarcest resource in your universe is probably engineering cycles mm-hmm. and you're wasting it on this garbage. Right. right. I mean, how would you sort of build a community of understanding around how to, how to model and think about these things in an effective way. That's, you know, yeah. that's dollar oriented. Like how can oriented. you measure an engineer's productivity? I've all agreed that that's literally impossible and you shouldn't mm-hmm. try um, except, you know, in the most basic of, in the, in the broadest of terms and, and not pegging it to any numbers or statistics, you know, making it a combination of, you know, uh, 24-7 feedback, you know, knowledge of knowledge over time. That's why we need highly technical engineering managers so they can't get snow jobs, <laughs> you know. Um, and even then, it's going to be imperfect and, and we should, you know, proceed with humility and caution. Um, I think it's even more true of organizations made up of those people. Yeah, yeah, I think... Well, one thing that you said in there that I that I think is really interesting is trying to measure an engineer's productivity. And I think much like the systems we're building, it's not usually one, right? It's the system of engineers. Yeah. And what can I learn that about the system the, of engineers? The, that is an essential point. Uh, I do think that you can measure teams better than you can measure individuals. Um, Like, I think that every manager should have a a graph or a dashboard with the, um, with the accelerate metrics for their team, as well as well as the fourth one, which is how often are we getting paged outside of hours? And you should know the stats for your team, for your, for your product. And you should, you know, you shouldn't like examine them every day and like be too reactive about it, but it's good to know if, if the numbers are increasing or, or decreasing. It's good to know what your SLO is and if, and if you're a match or not. It's good to know like you can, you can tell how a team is doing um, pretty well from those, from those metrics, but it tells you nothing about the individuals and it's really toxic if you t- try to translate it. Yes, 100%. I think it, it, well, one thing it might tell you is that you want to check in with some of those individuals because you're like, wow, you've been yeah. paged out of hours every day for the last seven weeks. Like, yeah. How are, how are you doing? Dude, right? That's not okay. Like I, I believe that there's a compact between like when we, when we blew up the monolith and do microservices and now, now everybody have a little more ops in their, in their job title. You know, I, I do believe that any engineer who works for a highly available 24 seven system should be on call for it, should be available for it. But I also believe that it's management's duty to meet that with it's not going to suck and we will dedicate the resources to, to fixing these systems that it doesn't suck. Right. So you don't have to plan your life around it. I think it's reasonable to ask any of these engineers to wake up to fix their services once or twice a year, maybe three times, as long as they don't have a small, have a small child also waking up in the night. It's not, nobody should have to carry two pagers. Right. Um, I think that's reasonable. Um, but I don't think it's reasonable to, have someone getting woken up like every week, let alone every night. And your manager should fucking know that if it's happening. I Well, I love, I actually love the, it's, there's always concrete numbers in conversation with you. I, I, I will admit that I was trying to be oh, like overly emphatic on the nightly, but, but absolutely like, what should that look like? What is our, our contract or understanding as an organization about what's acceptable and what's not, I think is a really important thing for everyone to evaluate. And I say that, that, you know, 
because I'm trying to get, you know, I'm fine with throwing out bombs. You can't generate, Honeycomb gets paid way more than that. We're a startup. It's up and down, you know, there's chaos, but we try to couple that with, you know, empathy about, about, you know, take the next Friday off. If you're on call, take the next Friday off. It's a matter of course. And we do really care. We take it very seriously as a heart attack when somebody gets paged out of hours. You know, everyone will jump on. We will fix it. We'll take time out of product development. I can't promise it'll be once or twice a year, but I can promise we'll take it very, very seriously that dedicate real engineering hours to fixing it. So you do what you can, right? Yeah. Well, I, I hear you. It's, uh, I mean, I've been primarily a startup person for most of my life. And, uh, you know, I've, I've certainly been that person carrying the pager and doing the customer support and going out and selling yeah. and building product. Yeah. And, you know, in those, but in those cases, I signed up for it, right? That was exactly. me building a company. So that's, it changes. Exactly. The contract changes as you grow and as you, you build out so teams. It's so fun. And- if you chose to do it, if you know it's, you know, it's your choice, you know that, you know, you're rewarded and valued for it. You know, if, if all these things, it can be a great period of your life. You just like throw yourself on this, but you know, it's not for everyone and yeah. you shouldn't force it. So, Yeah. Right on. Cool. So as you continue to uh, evolve and continue to build out the product, what, uh, you know, as software and how we build it continues to evolve, what are you excited about? What's coming up that you're, uh, that you're really looking I'm forward to? I'm pretty excited about open telemetry, you know, mm-hmm. uh, littered with the gravestones of prior attempts at this, you know, whether it's open tracing or, you know, all of the other, I, I was, I didn't have high hopes for it. Um, mm-hmm. but, I, I am seeing um, a lot of adoption. It's it's everywhere. It's not just in Silicon Valley. We're talking to a lot of teams who are going all in on it. And the thing is, this is really good for users because, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's overdue. We should have had more of a telemetry standard a long time ago, but we have it now. Great. Cool. It means that if you instrument your systems with open telemetry, you should be able to move from vendor to vendor or try different vendors out without having to re-instrument anything. It should be as simple as like a config line change, which means like, like so many people are using their, their vendors because, because of lock-in or because of the incredible friction and pain of redoing all that work <laughs> again for marginal benefit, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which lets vendors be really lazy. I like this because, you know, it, it let people try out other tools, um, without having to deal with all the sunk costs. And this will make vendors compete on better experience for users, better tooling, instead of just like treating them like, like a given. So uh, it's good. It's, it's genuinely catching on. It's like fire. And um, that's really exciting to me. Right on. I like it. Well, thanks again for joining. It's awesome to get your perspective on so many different things. Congratulations on all the success and continuing to grow uh, at Honeycomb. I think you're doing awesome stuff. We continue to be excited customers uh, and use it for for all kinds of things. Um, And thanks everyone for tuning in and listening to this episode. Uh, If you enjoyed this podcast, share with your friends, subscribe at your local podcast provider of choice. Uh, And if there's someone you want us to talk to or something you want us to talk about, hit us up on Twitter at CircleCI. Thanks again, Charity. Thanks so much for having me.